Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Boozar and this is episode 9. This week I sat down with Jaya Gable, an inspiring actress who from a young age fell in love with art form. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, and a lot of stories and lessons along the way. Enjoy an inside look in the world of filmmaking. associated with you is just like acting and theater and stuff like that mm-hmm. how has that been since the last time I mean I'm- um yeah I mean it's I I like I mean I started acting when I was really young and like I actually never did theater because I was homeschooled and so I just um went straight into commercial and tv acting when I, I was how like old eight. were you wow so what yeah. brought that about did you was it something you wanted to do? Or parents were like, hey, you know what? You got some sort of skill here that we want to see if you can do something with. <laughs> well, my parents were both like in the theater pretty intensely. Like they went to um, the University of Ohio for master's degrees in um, my dad's in directing and my mom's in um, acting. And they met doing, you know, traveling theater because they're a little bit older. So like they were doing this in like, like this, like the seventies. Right. So there was like this huge boom of theater companies that traveled and did shows and whatever. And they met doing that. And so they were kind of always on that acting kind of creativity, that scape of things, you know, and we had a family friend who had kids who did it and she was an agent and she was like, do any of your kids want to do it? And I was like, hell yeah, you know, like so stoked as like a little kid, like I want to go do it, you know, because I'm the youngest of five. And so I, attention was something I always wanted. And so I was like, look at me, look at me, you know. And um, I So you weren't I, like a shy child growing up. It wasn't no, ever like all. you were guarded or shy or anything. It was well, more you wanted attention on you. For sure. But in a, it was very odd because like I just didn't get, um, I didn't want attention from kids. I wanted attention from adults like, uh, like <laughs> approval almost or just some of. like I think just some type of I don't know probably just some weird recognition that I wanted sure. or some just eyes on me because I didn't really um like obviously I was homeschooled but I didn't really have an interest in making friends with kids it was like adults is the attention that I wanted probably just wanting attention from my parents and not getting as much because there was a bunch of kids around, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really have um, any like childhood friendships. I had like one best friend until I was probably like 14. And then obviously I kind of grew differently in that way, you know, cause I love people now of all ages and whatever, but yeah, I don't know what it was about um, a, like attention from just I just adults in some weird way so it was like it was almost like it was perfect that I started doing that because you're a kid going into rooms with like you know 35 year old women who are like sitting on the chair on the couch watching you do some stupid little scene you know like I and that was like such a I don't know it was like I craved that when I was a kid like I loved it you know so obviously I ended up doing the right thing but I mean I don't know I don't know why that was such a thing that I wanted yeah what was that like I mean so it's an opportunity that's presented to you almost I mean it's like oh cool this is something that it's fortunate because you happen to have a family friend but then you're put into this like whole different world was it weird or was it because you were so young it was almost like it wasn't super weird to you you're just like oh cool this is this is how you make tv now yeah totally I think it felt um it felt really normal because it was just something that I immediately enjoyed you know like even just the audition process of I think um, I got to have a lot more um, one-on-one time with my mom because my mom's the one who would take me in and out. And so I enjoyed like getting to drive in the car with her, you know, because we lived about an hour and a half away from every audition there was. So it would be like, I get to drive in the car with my mom and then she'd run the lines with me or whatever it was. And I, um, 
you know, sat in the room and like put my name down, waited for my name to be called. Like I just all felt very normal, I think, because probably because it's like I can't even remember a time when I didn't do it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to remember, like not having that connection in my life. It was always like a sort of like a part of your reality. It wasn't something that's separate. Right. So it was like totally kind of part of your life. You're just like, oh, this is normal. Um, yeah. Wow. For sure. Interesting. Was there a period? Well, I guess my inkling would that be, you'd be watching like really cool movies. Your parents would have like interesting taste coming from that sort of background and obviously being, I wouldn't say like film purist. They might be, I don't know, but I would imagine they're pretty like insisted on you watching pretty good movies instead of just <laughs> like, oh, go watch Power Rangers. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I didn't grow up... Um, I, because I grew up homeschooled and kind of in like a just a different type of uh, my parents were pretty particular about us not watching certain things. And so a lot of what I watched when I was really little was like Mr. Rogers. And then it was like I didn't see like like everyone our ages like SpongeBob was it. And like I never saw that until I was like 15. And so it didn't really I didn't have a connection with that, you know, and. I didn't see those kind of things. I think like the movies I think of when I was a kid were like, I mean, like Newsies was a big one, like, which is because it was a musical. I think that was something my parents obviously wanted us to watch. And then, I mean, a lot of musicals for sure, like Chicago, which is like, obviously, if you think about the content of that, it's like the women on Murderer's Row. Like that's, totally not you know appropriate content for like a seven-year-old but it was like what I loved I think because I just loved the show the showmanship of it obviously I mean it's a movie musical but like that type of thing was really attractive to me like I can picture me and my best friend dancing in the living room to those things like that was the 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 jam and I mean my parents also showed us like the Hitchcock movies and um, things like that that were you know, also maybe not like appropriate, but they saw as of like quality, I think. Sure. Yeah. Essential you know? viewing kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, and then my sis, my oldest sister is, um, she's 11 years older than me. So she was a teenager in like that big kind of early 2000s, like very late 90s um, burst of teen movies like hmm. 10 Things I Hate About You and Never Been Kissed and Clueless and like those movies are integral to me like there's something about that that I always um I always look at and I'm like oh that's like the golden age of cinema in like such a weird way because those movies are so when you look at them now they're really campy but like I still love them I mean I think that they have a lot of value to them like 10 things I hate about you is based off of Taming of the Shrew from William Shakespeare and a lot of movies at that time were um the basis for them was something from the past. So, I mean, maybe it was the two together is what was really attractive to me. I don't know. And I think I just wanted to do anything my sister was interested in. Sure. Did you, were you able to at that age, because you're still acting at this point, right? So we started at eight years old, but this continued for just indefinitely through this period of time that we're discussing, which is you Mm -hmm. getting into these movies that you really um, found. Did you connect like the whole concept of you were you like, I'm doing this. Like I could potentially be, you know, those people that you saw. Did you ever watch like an actor or someone, actress in a movie, you know, and just go, I want to, like I can do that. That's me because I have an ability and I'm doing it right now. Like, Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that I, um, I knew that that's what it could be. I don't think I ever expected it, but I definitely had that, um, dreamscape kind of mindset of like wow this could be like I could be Julia Stiles or something like that you know like I definitely had a desire for the the big aspect of it like oh I could do all these movies or I could be on this tv show especially like when I did get the opportunity when I was younger I mean I never really um I did a lot of commercials and like things here and there, like TV spots and recurring things, but I never had anything that was like a big break, you know? And there was times when I would get really close to things like this one show. It was like me and this one other girl for this 
you know, new kids, Nickelodeon pilot, whatever. It was like a big thing. And I got to spend all this time at the Nickelodeon studios. And um, it was like, it felt really big and felt really real. And I think like, I think about those times and I think like, that's when it felt the most like, oh, that could be me, you know? Yeah. Like I could be Amanda Bynes or whatever it is, you know? Sure. And that's when, well, did you feel like, I don't know, was it always a goal of yours or was it something that, did it ever become something that you didn't enjoy or did you love every single commercial you did and every single, you know, TV spot and everything like all everything that you did was a good experience. Was there ever ones where you're like, Hey, you know what? This isn't something I enjoy anymore. I think, um, when I was probably like, like actually after that one, um, instance that I was speaking of specifically that Nickelodeon pilot that I didn't end up getting that I was, it was, you know, it was really close. It was like, I was right at the end and, um, I did all the tests for it. Like where you're all day long, you and the other potential kids, you know, there's like three roles and there's like two or three kids that are like, it's either going to be one of us for this thing. And I think after that, and I didn't get it, it, it did hit me pretty hard and it made me feel probably lesser than, and like, it was like, this is more, that situation made me feel the job aspect of it more. I think that I hadn't really considered or maybe looked at as much of when I was younger prior to that, because it was just such a fun experience, all of it which it continued to be afterwards. But I think I really evaluated at that point, like, is this, um, is this fun? Is this as fun as I like had thought it was before? Like, is this still something that brings me a lot of joy and happiness, which it did, but there was definitely, I mean, that, that kind of stuff, like if that specific situation felt really, felt really detrimental, I think, because I got so close to something and I didn't get it, you know? Yeah. How old were you when you, when that happened? I was, I was 14 and then I like was just about to turn 15 or something like that. It was like right in that area. Right. I think I was like a freshman in high school. Yeah. Which is, I mean, super fundamental time in your life. But to learn a lesson like that at a young age, do you think that contributed to who you are now and you're almost somewhat fortunate? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think... I even subliminally before that specific um, situation, I learned like about rejection really early, which I think is something that has definitely helped me just, you know, in all aspects of life. I mean, you know, relationships, um, jobs, um, school, like any kind of thing I do. Cause I mostly, cause I ended up that was kind of around the same time when I found the like love that I had for writing, which is kind of more of what I focus on now in my adult time, but, um, which is interesting. I don't know if I've ever really connected the dots that that was like about the same age that I found how much I liked writing. Um, but it, I mean, the, the sense of rejection that you get is very large. Like it's very big because it's, it's connected to something that is fun, something that you love, but it's also completely out of your control, like more than any other, job I think I've ever had like the type of loss and rejection that you can get from acting is so so out of your control that it's just you cannot take it personal you know like that's one thing that it it taught me about rejection in general is that you know even when something is within your control to some degree like you still can't really take it personally because there's so many other factors surrounding it Sure. It's not just your performance and it's not just what you put into it. It's not just that there's like so many other things at play that you can't look at rejection as such a thing as it's, Oh, this is horrible. This is like the worst thing that's ever happened. This is my fault. Like if you look at it in that way, like, I don't know, man, I don't think I would. I mean, I don't know. I couldn't do that. Like it would, it would kill me. You know what I mean? Like emotionally. Yeah. It's just too much. And it's hard to think that like, man, I mean, there's people that definitely take it super hard, but I think in a field with acting um, or any form of entertainment for the most part, you establish a a form of thicker skin because you're constantly being judged in some way, shape or form, whether it's, you know, an internal judgment within yourself where you're, 
you know, judging the art and the stuff that you're making and you're kind of perceiving it from how people are going to view it. And then you have this weird perception about what you're making. And then also just like literally people telling you whether or not something's good or not. So I think, yeah, yeah. I think as an artist, you're constantly put in a position where what you do is either good enough or not good enough. And it's quite frankly, never really going to be perfect for anyone. No, totally. And I mean, it's like, you know, there's, there's so many times where it's like, you know, you hear the, the feedback or whatever, um, like agents always ask for feedback from casting directors, especially when their client doesn't get a job when it's like, they're almost at the end. They ask for feedback. Like, why is it that they weren't chosen or whatever? And one thing that I would always hear, you know, which maybe this isn't the truth. Cause it's like my agent talking to someone and then my agent talking to me. But one thing I always heard was, oh, she's just so tall for her age or oh, interesting. she, you know, like she looks too mature for playing 14 when it's like, I'm 13, you know, those kinds of things, like right. things like, oh, her eye shape is just, it didn't look right. Like the most ridiculous things that it's like, I can't control that I was 12 and five foot six. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't control the way my eyes were shaped or, I mean, I guess like the color of your hair and things like that, but you know what I mean? The general idea that it's like, there's, such a small percentage of what you can control about the way you look or even like the performance that you give. So it's like getting that rejection. You can't, you can't really take it to heart because like me, 14 year old, I I couldn't control that. I was already five foot seven, whatever it was, you know, like, who, you know, what am I going to do? Be like, let me shrink myself. No, that's ridiculous. So it's like, you can't take that um, rejection that you got from that, especially if it's for a reason. So minuscule as your, your height, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's without of your control. So I think that like situations like that, or examples like that, hearing things along those lines really helped me um, understand that rejection didn't have to be such a a a detrimental thing. And I think a lot of credit is to my mom too, for sure, because she was with me, you know, all the way, the whole way. I mean, until I was 18 and I started doing things by myself, she was always there and always really good about, you know, helping me to not put my worth in that stuff like whether I got something or not putting my worth in, you know, did I feel like I did the best job I could or did I work hard enough or, you know, did I prepare well enough that to, that I think I did, you know, not putting it on what other people thought of me. So I definitely got lucky with that because I'm sure there's a lot of kids that I know, you know, that I grew up going auditions with where it wasn't the same, you know, you could tell when, people's moms or dads or whoever it was that was going along with them was really was really hard on them and like made it a big deal when it wasn't supposed to be something like that you know it was supposed to be enjoyable especially when you're a kid you know yeah do you remember having conversations with other kids about their parents do you remember anything specifically like hey Yeah, I mean, there's, and it's, it's funny now too, because I mean, I'm, you know, it's been like, however long it's been, I mean, I started when I was eight and I'm 25. So it's like, it's a while now. And I think um, there's a lot of kids that I grew up doing things with who are, you know, they're like still working and they're pretty big. And I think like, um, one girl in particular who I do remember, I did like a short film with when we were little, and I think she was a couple years older than me. And, um, her mom worked in uh, like hosting and uh, things like that, like on, um, you know, like on Access Hollywood or whatever shows like that. I, I don't remember particularly what she did, but she worked in that sector of the business. And I think her um, her mom had a different type of grit, I guess, to her where you could definitely tell that she knew that um, if she didn't perform, it's like she was going to get come down on pretty hard like just because I think her mom was in some type of sector of the business that was related so she was like had her own thick skin that probably made her kids even thicker in a way that wasn't maybe super beneficial you know I don't obviously talk to her now so I don't know how it um affected her then but I think you could just you could just tell that like some kids took things way harder. Like if they got a note from, uh, 
the director or whatever when you're shooting something and it's like oh you know just try to watch your um like your hand in this because like it's fidgeting or something you know it's like those type of things they'll be like oh okay like oh like you're, you know like doing that self negative kind of self-talk thing that like you even do as a kid which you don't recognize when you're like oh I'm so stupid or like oh I shouldn't have done that or whatever you know mm-hmm. dang yeah I was I mean, when you talk about that, I remember, so have you seen Honey Boy that came out this year? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Super good. Yeah. So man, massive. So I was really into, I don't know what about Shia LaBeouf. I was like, got really into this year and I was Uh like weirdly fascinated with him for a period of time, which I thought was odd, but I like, I just thought he was such an intriguing person. Like aesthetically, he's just an interesting guy. And then, um, so Peanut Butter Falcon came out and then- Honey Boy, which is a really intense, for people that haven't seen it, it's more like a relatively factual, you know, somewhat biopic about Shia Buff growing up and being a child actor and mm-hmm. his life on Even Stevens and the set and everything. Um, and obviously the relationship and the turmoil between him and his father, the psychological effects that had, and then him in the future, blah, blah. But from someone who literally lived through a relatively similar, but with obviously a very major factor taken out of that situation. How did that movie impact you? I mean, I think there was a lot of it that um, just because I was around that world, I, it was like, Oh, obviously like that makes sense. Like I'm not surprised kind of like, I think if you watch that movie and you don't have a lot of um, prior knowledge to the child actor world, a lot of things would probably like be like really jarring to you, you know, which I think some of it to me was just not because I'm just not surprised. I mean, I was even, you know, even like talking about obviously like all that Harvey Weinstein crap that came out. Like I didn't know about that specifically, but I was aware from a pretty young age about the concept of the casting couch and how you have to be careful of people trying to take advantage of you in weird ways. And I think, like I said, a lot of that is credit to my mom because she was able to look out for me enough, but also make me aware enough that there are some people that you just have to be cautious around Mm -hmm. that some people will try to do, you know, creepy skeezy things. And like, I mean, that doesn't really have to do with honey boy, but I think that the concept of things that are kind of intense and maybe too big and too mature for kids that age that child actors do get exposed to is not um surprising to me at all because I mean I did experience it in a much smaller scale than obviously you know the character in that film did but just the idea of having to kind of be an adult in a lot of ways even though you don't have the brain or the experience or anything for it at a young age like you have to handle very adult problems like you know, the character in that movie having to basically be his own parent, like, yeah, because his dad was so displaced from himself and what the reality of like being a parent was, I think that he had to parent himself. Like he, you know, he had that, um, that like boys and girls club, like big brother type character in the movie. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like he probably sought that like, was like seeking that out in a way, you know, like they didn't really explain their connection, but I'm sure there to a degree he was looking for that because he didn't want to have to keep doing it to himself, like have to keep being his own parent. But I think that, you know, just like growing up being surrounded by it, you definitely can see the parents that didn't get something that they are now projecting onto their kids for sure. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, like, even though my mom was an actress, she, um, definitely made sure that I knew that I wasn't doing this because she wanted me to. Right. Which I think a lot of kids felt like they needed to do it for their parents, for sure. Yeah. Like there was plenty of kids I met that were like, oh yeah, I mean, my dad just really like thinks I should be doing this. And like, there is a certain amount of encouragement because not every kid's like, I want to go seek this thing out. There's sometimes they're too afraid to, or they don't really know how to express that thought. And so the parental, you know, guidance is big in that way, but there are a lot of kids who are like, you know, 
I, I'll, you know, you see the same kids for a long time. Like, even if you don't really work together, like you see each other around and, or you're in the same acting classes and stuff. And there's definitely kids who it's like from 10 to 15, you can tell that they're done, but their mom's like, oh, you've been doing this for so long. We moved here from Virginia or wherever. And it's like, we're committed to this now. Like, this is my life too. Yeah. You know? Dang. Man. Did you feel like, I don't know. So you're going into more of a writing aspect or mindset around 14, which kind of changes the direction or the trajectory of where you want to go with um, Mm -hmm. just this whole career and something that you've been working on. Was that something that, I don't know, what brought about the writing? Was it storytelling? Was it something? Because were you homeschooled at this time as well? Yeah, I didn't go to public school until I was um, 16 which was my junior year of high school. Okay. So I went the last two years and um, I still acted during that time, but it was definitely, I wanted to kind of just like feel what it was like to be in a quote unquote normal situation. Um, but before that, I um, I, w- I went out for a part that was like, uh, they were trying to make all that again, basically. They were trying to do a kid's sketch show where, you know, kids were doing goofy different things, you know, Keenan and Kel, like all that, that type of thing. They're trying to recreate that. Mm -hmm. And they asked you to bring some characters, like your own characters to the audition. And I think I, um, I remember sitting down and just, you know, writing like some goofy little character I had thought up and like writing a little monologue for it. And I remember really enjoying that, like getting to create something that I would then play, you know, with, but just the process of, of creating something and putting it on paper was something I had, you know, you do creative writing when you're growing up in school, but this is different. Cause it's like a, you know, a role, like a, a potential role or whatever yeah, it is. Or right? you can apply so, it right away. It has a real totally. life like purpose behind it. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I remember doing that and being like, that was really fun. And then, kind of from that point on, I think I was probably like 14 when, when I did that, when I had that experience that made me be like, Oh, like this is a fun thing too. That's kind of connected to this thing I already like. And then, you know, after having kind of not failures, but like opportunities that didn't come together, I realized like, Oh, you know, you can write things that you can then do. And like, that's something that, was interesting to me, especially because I always seemed to not get stuff because it was just like one or two things weren't right, you know? And it was like, oh, I could make something that I think is just right for me, you know? Yeah. Having more control over the situation. Totally. I mean, in whatever way that means, because it's like, obviously I haven't at that point when I was a kid. And I mean, even now I haven't like made something that I then got to be in, but just the idea of that, getting to control some aspect, even if it's just getting to control something that comes from my mind and goes on the page Mm -hmm. is really, was really like, it was really exciting to me at that age. And then I think as I explored it more, as I got older and eventually did study it in, um, in college, it was, it, it felt like it was another form of, um, like another level that it gave to the excitement that I had with acting and that like drive I had for it. it it was like another level with this yeah that's super cool did you start to see film differently like watch movies and all of a sudden was there a part of you that started to study the craft of movie making and acting and all that was there a period where like looking at a movie was different like you could for never look sure. at movies yeah. ever again the same definitely I mean I think um I like, I know you yourself, we share a love for Wes Anderson um, films and I got um, exposed to those movies probably when I was like, probably like 16, I'm sure around then because my sister was um, once again, biting off my sister's um, (laughs) love and uh, her, uh, her taste. Um, I got exposed to those movies and like movies like Life Aquatic uh, were really, um, super important to me just in a in in that sense of looking at it as like not just a movie too but like a piece of art oh, almost yeah. yeah different like a different form of storytelling that i think 
Yeah. I mean, same thing for me. My sister, six years older than me. So she was watching films. I remember the first Wes Anderson film I saw was Royal Tenenbaums. And it wasn't something that I would have gone out and like, you know, looked for when you're a 13 year old or whatever, you know, you don't want to watch, you're watching some comedy, you know, but yeah, to have something like that or an exposure to, I think a whole different reality, you know? So we talked about before how you always kind of saw acting as a part of your life because it wasn't necessarily separate from the reality that you just always lived. So to be under, I guess, the idea that this is always like a part of your reality, I think is, I don't know, changes everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even still, like I, I've, you know, acting's definitely not been my main priority for a lot for a cup for a good chunk of time now but it's still something that like when I just I think about that or I even like you know I even read a play or something it's like there's something inside of me that is just it just is mm-hmm. you know like I, that sounds <laughs> that sounds so like oh that sounds so heady but I mean it just it just is me like right. even if I didn't really identify with that part of myself for a period of time or whatever it's just that that's just inside of me and it's like ingrained in my DNA in a way because I just developed while being like in that you know in that mindset like i started when I was really young and so it was like always just an identifier within me but then I think as time went on it was just like oh this is just one of the parts of me you know sure yeah how has your sort of talking about diving into like Wes Anderson um Mm -hmm. who are like the filmmakers or the was it actresses that you looked at and were like super into or was it directors was it like cinematography was it just movies in general you're like oh I like this movie you know or was it you were diving yeah. into specifics of people in you know I mean I think in high school I really um I started getting into comedy in a different way because comedy is really like what I love and yeah. I know Wes Anderson isn't necessarily um like I don't know some people call him his movies comedic but I just I don't know they're just art to me like he is his own yeah, Lame, it's kind of like a combination you know? of everything, right? It's like funny, totally. sad, whatever. Yeah, all of yeah. it. But I think like like even, um, you know, like the first time I saw another movie that I that you love that I also love is super bad. Like oh, yeah. I remember seeing that movie and then um, watching it and loving it. And then looking at um, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill and Christopher, um, I always say his last name wrong. I think it's Mince Plaza or something. Yeah, um, that's right. But looking at them and realizing that they were, what they were doing was, you know, that was one of the things I looked at these actors who I was like, they are so funny. But then I was like, what they're saying is not coming from them. They're, no. they're, <laughs> they're, they're, taking from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. And I mm-hmm. remember finding that script um, when I was in high school online and printing it out <laughs> and reading it and being like obsessed with it because yeah. I thought that the lines were so funny and it was, you know, I had read scripts before and it was always something I enjoyed doing. Like, you know, when I would go out for things, but reading a script of a movie that you love is such a different um, experience it's just just such a different experience and perspective of the film because you see how things morph from the page to the screen, but also like that's what they're working off to make what you're seeing. And I think like that movie for sure. And I mean, um, another movie that I uh, remember reading the script of when I was in high school was the wedding singer. And I, um, I, cause I always loved that movie. And I think it's like, I started to just look at it, in the, you know, try to look at it from the writer's perspective, because I think growing up, I was aware of that, like, you know, I always kind of had that lens of, oh, this is like a setup and this is this type of lighting or whatever. Like, I obviously didn't know all of it, what the words for it all were, but I was aware when I'd be watching things that that was going on because I saw it when I was on set as a kid. But I think the, the writing aspect of it, I like, as I started to like writing myself and then reading the scripts and then watching movies and then 
reading the script afterwards, it was like a whole different um, lens because it was like, you're seeing the, you're seeing the basis of everything. Right. You know? And like, same thing with like uh, Mean Girls was a big movie too that I remember reading the script and being really, because specifically, I mean, it was, came from Tina Fey, who I always like have looked to in such a way because she's just such an intelligent um, creative, which sometimes people associate I don't think it's much more now, but I think sometimes people associate creatives with not being hyper intellectual or even really being, but she's someone who is such, uh, you can, you, you can't deny the fact of how intelligent she is. And like, you can see that when you read her writing too, like, even if it's a goofy joke about like in Mean Girls, that whole thing about the animal kingdom, how she looks at the girls in the mall like around the watering hole and like these weird you know these weird like goofy silly things like that's actually just such an intelligent connection that she's made in the writing process you know that then becomes this very like funny thing on screen that you see but when you really think about like what it took to get to that um that spot in her writing it's like wow like that's a really intelligent thought that then turned into some really goofy thing you know but I think that I got really interested in that and it like kind of fueled that desire for writing even more you know yeah did you I mean who were like what contributed to the process early on was it just thinking of ideas did you how do you come up with it do you need to have an underlying theme was it like you come up with an idea and then you go or is it time dedicated to sitting down and writing or was it just on a whim? I mean, the, the, when I was younger, it was definitely more like I would just be, you know, daydreaming or whatever. And I would kind of think like, Oh, this would, this is like something that I could, this is something I could write about. Like, you know, I started going to, um, to concerts a lot when I was at the end of high school and like the beginning of college. And I started getting really interested in, in that world of just like, the people that go to shows, not even the musicians necessarily, just like the people who that's their life. And that was one of the first scripts I started writing was, um, it was, I mean, it's called, it was called concert kids, just about like kids who that's their life. And that's the lifeblood of what they are. And they'll do anything to go to a show or to see this person or this music or whatever, to just be surrounded by that. And I think, um, that kind of is where, my ideas came from at first was just things I was getting interested in, you know, Um, like music was a big one. So that was like that world I got really interested in. And so that was something that I started writing about. But I mean, as I have gotten older and I've like lived more life, you can kind of, I kind of turned into more of the taking things from my life and, you know, either bumping them up or kind of altering them and turning that into something Cause I mean, they, the thing that they say, they being all the different people who give advice about writing and creating, is it like, you know, you, you write what you know, or you do what you know. And I think that that to, for the most part, that's pretty accurate. Like you obviously writing your life verbatim is not going to be exciting or it's not even going to excite you as a writer. It's, you know, maybe it would be therapeutic, but you know, writing what you know and taking that as the jumping off point is definitely where I think I land now right? in, in the process kind of of where things come from. Nice. And how does it look as far as, I mean, so what's the goal? Is it to write a screenplay and have it bought by a studio or a director? How does all that whole process look? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's, it can go a lot of different ways. And like, thankfully, I do have um, the information of like having worked in the industry for a while, because I did like a year ago work as a writer's assistant, which was really, um, was really cool. And it was a lot of like good knowledge. And the, the writer that I worked for was someone that I was on a show that he created when I was a kid. And so like, wow, it was, super that cool. was kind of a, it was a really cool full circle moment yeah. where like, I was, you know, I was on his show as an actress as a kid. And then I like, you know, he was, him and his wife were always really cool. And my mom kind of kept in contact with them. And then as I 
went to school for screenwriting and television writing. And then I was like, oh, this guy's somebody I would just love to talk to. And then it turned into a job opportunity, which was really cool. But um, and that was in children's television specifically, which is a realm of writing specifically that's actually really difficult. It seems like if you were from an outsider perspective, you'd be like, oh, but they're just like writing for children. Like this is such kind of elementary stuff, but so hard. It's really difficult because you have to work within the most confines of any other, Mm -hmm. of anything. Like if you have a show on HBO, you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can talk about the content, anything, but like with kids, you have to be so careful. And the show that I worked on too is specifically an educational um, children's show. And so it was even more difficult because you're having to make sure that you're hitting these educational bullet points and And being like factual um, and all that. Totally. Yeah. And I think, so I think for me, like one thing that experience really showed me too, was that I, um, I just, I, I would, my dream, like at this point is to have, there's a couple of scripts that I have that I would love the chance to make myself with like guidance. You know what I mean? Like me, cause obviously I know, you know, a good amount of things, but I don't know nearly you know, anything in the grand scheme of things. Like I would love to learn from someone who can, you know, teach me how to direct or what directing looks like, because I think like writing and directing would be a script that I've written would be the the dream, you know, like yeah. that's the dream, even more than me acting in it. Cause that's something I still really love and would love to do, but getting to have something that I wrote and then like see that out throughout the whole process is what is most attractive and enticing to me at this point in life, you know? Yeah. What are some films that were written, directed, and I guess starred in? Did you, has there been something like that that influenced you to be like, oh yeah, that's it. That's the goal. Yeah. I mean, um, one thing that I uh, got exposed to when I was in college by one of my professors because I was in a uh, sitcom writing class which it like didn't end up really being sitcom it was like we wrote our own pilots and they could kind of be you know they were just supposed to be kind of in the comedy world and I was writing something and my teacher you know looked at it and was like someone you should look at is um Lena Dunham who I I never had watched girls I just it just didn't seem to be something that like I don't know I had friends watching or I got really like exposed to and then I watched it and that was something really interesting to see because it was her acting in it her Mm -hmm. writing and she didn't always direct it but I I know she directed some of it but that was an interesting thing to see because it was like a girl who was like in her you know her 20s and she was doing everything yeah and super creatively out there too I think I mean Mm -hmm. With that show, I think it was somewhat groundbreaking in the sense that it didn't necessarily have this storyline that was, you know, filled with, I guess, I don't know. It portrayed like an everyday life of these girls living in New York and like just the social dynamics and different things like that, which in, I guess, on paper, you would think you're just like, oh, it's just girls hanging out um yeah it's their friends and like you know there's some drama and like some shit goes wrong every once in a while and uh you know that's basically a show most people would be like well i don't want to watch that That sounds stupid you know but if you're actually watching you're like holy shit this is really you know has like a lot to it i don't know i appreciate that show i saw every episode i think it's really well done i think she yeah i don't know definitely hit the mark with something that is cool, which also connects her to, I mean, I think the people that I really like are people that didn't necessarily have an opportunity, but created an opportunity. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ira Glass with NPR and This American yeah. Life and different people like that who just were like, oh, there isn't a show that would like let me be there or like, yeah. you know, kind of falls in line with my ideology. So I'm just going to create something, you know? And I think she did that with her show and it was just, you know, it took off and became something that's phenomenal. But it also, I think definitely is a testament to if there isn't something out there for you, it doesn't mean that you should just give up. 
you know? Totally. Yeah. Which is, I think kind of like became, uh, not like this sounds ridiculous, but like, it was like my, it became like my war cry as I was like getting older as I was like, okay, like I'm never going to get something that like, cause they just don't know where to put me obviously. So I'm going to like create something for myself. Like that's going to be what, how I'm going to be able to do all that I want and desire to do is if I like make that lane for myself, yeah. you know? And I think, um, it's funny cause there, there'll be, there were many different times where I realized like, Oh, that was like, that's like, this is like my best option. Like, this is what it is. Like I just have to find it in my own way, you know? And, um, like going back to like Lena Dunham for sure. When I watched that, even though it wasn't maybe the content that I was interested in specifically, or like, whatever it is that I I could say about it, but there's no denying that she made way for people to be able to make their own way. And specifically for women too, like, you know, like a show like Broad City probably wouldn't have been as attractive for someone to make if it wasn't for her show, which Broad City is revered in such a way as like, you know, people love it. Like, it's like, it had like a cult following or whatever, but it also there was a pretty broad audience for it. Like people really love that show, you know? Yeah. And I mean, even same thing with like a show, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Like those guys, I have so much um, respect for the way that they did it because they didn't, you know, they weren't getting anywhere as actors. And so they were like, let's do it ourselves. And now it's like, there's going to be a 15th season. That's like, like that's, record breaking. I think they, that's yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they made their own space. And I mean, even like though they, you know, they had Danny DeVito join them and that like got a lot of eyes on them in a different way because he had already created such a huge career for himself. Yeah. Um, but regardless of that, that just helped people see how funny they were. Right. And like, cause they're still they were creating making, that it was special. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I mean, the material at the end of the day was like something that's really special, you know, which is cool because I think that's also a testament to maybe the industry, maybe it's the consumer and the people that are, you know, enjoying this art, but there is a chance for people like that, you know, which is Mm -hmm. cool. It's good to know that it isn't just limited to, you know, the JJ Abrams of the world. If those were the only people making movies, we would all be very different people. And I think oh, in a very true, negative yeah. way, you know. So um, very appreciative, I think, of the fact that people like Lena Dunham and people in Broad City and just, you know, Wes Anderson, you know. And then he gave so many people, I think, like Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. It's just, I don't know, this whole concept of mm-hmm. all, this whole world and this whole industry um, is filled with these really cool creative people that were just like someone gave them a chance, you know? And yeah. if it wasn't for that one person who was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's see mm-hmm. what, the, you know, Bottle Rocket's all about. And then, oh, totally, you know, yeah. launches the career of someone who will go down in history as someone who just had a huge impact on cinema, you know? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as when, you know, when say whatever you want about Quentin Tarantino, but like he made he just loved movies. Like, and he was like, that is what I love. That is me. I just love watching movies. I love looking at movies. I love writing movies, whatever. And then he made a lane for himself. Like totally, he figured it out. I mean, he, he wrote a script that became a film that people loved. And then he was like, I'm going to take the money from that and make my own movie. And Mm -hmm. he invested in himself, which a lot of people, you know, people, there's a lot of speculation on whether, you know, investing in yourself in like a severe monetary way is a good thing to do or not. Some people say like, don't ever do that. And some people say do that. But regardless of the fact he did it. And, you know, even though whatever, there's different opinions people have about him in general, you cannot deny that the cinema he made changed the cultural landscape and the creative landscape of the industry. And also just of kind of society in a lot of ways like Pulp Fiction is such a monumental film like people don't even think about that some of the lines that people say you know like are the words that they say in conversation come from like that movie you know totally yeah even songs and stuff I'll hear songs Mm -hmm. and they'll be named like Honey Bunny and stuff and I'll be like oh totally that's cool (laughs) you know it's just little 
deep cuts of like things, but it's also this just, I don't know. I think there's this appreciation for the type of person that is the Quentin Tarantino, the Hunter S. Thompson, like the, Mm -hmm. I don't know, man, like the gritty outlaws of society and especially the gritty outlaws of like those mediums. I don't know. To me, the people that live on the fringes were generally the people that produce some pretty crazy shit that was always worth checking out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think because they didn't, just because they didn't have maybe as many people on their team or as many people behind them, that does give them the freedom to be able to just do what they think is best kind of. And it's like, that's the only way to really fully um, look at your creative voice is sometimes having you're back against a wall or just not having as many people behind you. So it's like, you're forced to rely on what you have inside of you. Yeah, you know? totally. And I, I also think, I mean, with those people, especially like a Quentin Tarantino and I mean, Hunter S Thompson's like a whole different thing. Cause he yeah. most likely had some mental and major psychological issues, but any, I'm not saying Tarantino doesn't, but he's a little bit more held together. Um, yeah. But I think with someone like that, there's a sense of ego that is also attributed to it, which contributes, you know, to him probably not listening to a lot of like, you know, maybe negative feedback that he got initially, which would have maybe been detrimental to other creatives. But for him, he could have heard, you know, a hundred people tell him that that movie is terrible, but he only listens to that one person in his head or, you know, like he's just listening to himself and he's like, no, this is good. And I'm going to put yeah. it out there. And I don't know. That's another, you know, person who, or like that type of person, the person who doesn't listen to the critics or whatever that is. For sure. Yeah. I mean, even like, a, this is another, I'm talking about all these controversial people. It's so bad because I really like people who have like, for some reason been swirled in controversy. Like, okay. Louis CK is someone who, yeah. I look at him and he is so um, inspiring to me because for one, like he, you know, he's hilarious. Obviously he just is, is someone who worked really hard at his craft and benefited from the hard work. You know, he had the natural ability and whatever, but he also worked really hard, Mm -hmm. but you know, like uh, I remember when I saw his show, his show that was on FX, the Louis show, I was I don't think I really um had seen a show like that before I don't think a lot of people had until they saw that show because I think it wasn't really um that you know that type of realism in in comedy like wasn't as it wasn't as prevalent and it wasn't as big I mean I think I first saw in a different way in like Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen movies which are something like you know um like The 40-Year-Old Virgin or Knocked Up like those movies definitely showed that kind of like the airing on the side of real yeah life I think and al- real people also like a little bit of a form of like cynicism that honestly probably yeah. wasn't like socially acceptable you know i think totally, they brought yeah. that to the light of like hey man it's okay to be like miserable and depressed and just like a piece mm-hmm. of shit human being and, like, yeah no totally and i mean like i mean seeing seeing that show louie was like uh, a big thing for me too because i was like oh this is like this is a whole different lane yeah within this this echelon of comedy or this world of comedy that I have not seen expressed in such a way. Like it was really um, interesting. And I really loved that show because it was so, um, so real. And it did let you, you know, feel okay about feeling bad about yourself and feeling bad about like the decisions you made and kind of not hating yourself, but being really like kind of, not okay with some of the choices you made, but recognizing that it's like, that's what happened. And like, I cannot like that. I did that, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is a, um, something that when not necessarily, I don't, I don't think I necessarily write things that are in that same lane exactly, but definitely like exposing me to seeing that like, Oh, you can express this. And like, people will, 
people are interested in it. Like people are curious about that because everybody feels that way. Like that's why he became such a successful comedian because he spoke to a side of everyone that everybody has, you know? Yeah. And I think opened the door for a lot of people to express that without, you know, feeling like they're going to get a lot of backlash. You know, it wasn't this industry that was filled with like happy-go-lucky people. I think comedy almost, like, I mean, man, I don't know. My image of comedy, I see it as like relatively definitely darker rather than lighter. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe it's the comedians that I listen to. Maybe that's Uh it, you know, but I can tell you quite confidently that like, you know, nine out of 10 of the comedians I listen to are not going to be talking about going to the gym and eating vegan food. And like, you know, they're not talking about that kind of stuff. It's generally, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the comedians that like all the comedians love are like people like, um, Mitch Hedberg, you know, who is like constantly self kind of analyzing and like, you know, just talking about like the weird theories he had or like, you know, like was, he was very like in, he was like not super outward, you know, he was very like inward, but then it kind of came outward in a funny way, you know, but that guy like thought a lot about weird things and like was very kind of dark in a way, but it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think allowing, man, just like that whole skill set in general, like allowing yourself to be laughed at, you know, is so commendable, Mm -hmm. you know, to go on stage and literally, you know, however long the set is, uh, Mm -hmm. 15, 45 minutes, whatever, but you're essentially going up there and just inviting people to make fun of you or you're like publicly pointing out all these insecurities that you have about yourself. You know, I think that's like, man, a whole new level of vulnerability that, you know, I haven't achieved. I think that's commendable and amazing that some people are able to do that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tried doing stand up once and it was fun, but it was definitely like, I think because I like I've performed for most of my life, like I, you know, I was a dancer my whole life too. And so like, I'm comfortable with that aspect of it, but it's definitely like, I came off and I was like, wow, I feel like I'm like a swamp. Like, I feel like I'm sweat my whole life out right now. Like Mm -hmm. if it's, you know, and I did it at some like random coffee shop for like five minutes. Like it was, you know, you know, nothing compared to what these, what they go through like all day long, you know, for, for years, you know, man. Dude, the yeah. life of a comic, just, I think, like, I, which I think is really weird, looking back on, like, a lot of things that I've appreciated throughout the years, I haven't personally, like, done necessarily, you know, like, I really had a respect and appreciation for, like, surfing and skateboarding when I was, mm-hmm. like, growing up, but I couldn't skateboard to save my life, and I wasn't that great at surfing at all, you know, but I just had an appreciation for, you know, like, the culture and the people and just everything. It just, I don't know. Yeah, and the I passion like pe- behind it, yeah. Totally, and then I think mm-hmm. with comedy was a similar thing where, you know, I always just appreciated it, and I think getting deeper into it, and I think it also contributes to this day and age of, you know, most comedians, if not, you know, all comedians have some form of like a podcast or something, which I also think mm-hmm. is really cool that, you know, it's kind of blending these two genres and yeah, I don't know. It's all interconnected in a way to just entertainment. You know, everything totally. that we've talked about is all just a form of entertaining people and it is yeah. somewhat derived from the same source. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts, but I mean, obviously like it's, I mean, I wouldn't, I like, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I really like loved something else as much as I love this, but it's like, I just don't, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's another thing that you don't have control over, right? Like you can pretend to love something or like tell your mind like, Hey man, we love spaghetti now, but like, yo, (laughs) if you don't like spaghetti, that shit's not going to happen. Or it's not gonna whatever, taste yeah, <laughs> yeah, like crochet. Yeah. Uh, maybe spaghetti wasn't a good choice because that's a whole different mechanism <laughs> going into that situation. No, I mean, but it's like you can, you know. I mean, I think like you can have um, like a love for things, or you can learn to love things for sure. But I think like with this specifically, it's like I've just, it's just 
you know, it's just what I, what I've cut, what I come to at the end of everything. Right. Like there's definitely been times when I'm like, you know what, maybe like I should go into something else because it's like, this is just such a tough like road, you know? And I think about, you know, different ideas of what I could do or even like different things I have done as like even just jobs in the past, like, you know, being a manager um, when I've done that before, I'm like, wow, like I was like, I think I was pretty good at that. Like I could do that, you know, but then it's like, nah, I would still be thinking about writing and I would still be thinking about, you know, creating and like I would still be watching movies and being like man you know like it just yeah. it wouldn't disappear and it and it hasn't you know in this whole time so it's like you kind of have to just do it because it's it's in there so something inside of you is telling you you have to keep going you know yeah is there so my favorite movie of all time I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen it, but Inside Lewin Davis by the Coen yes. Brothers. Okay. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. And that movie, I mean, different medium. He's a musician or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, amazing movie. And I'm not going to give the synopsis of it, but if you haven't seen it, please go see it. It's phenomenal. Good, yeah. But the part that ties into kind of what you're talking about, um, towards the end, he has to make this decision on whether or not he's going to basically sell out and quit music and go into merchant you know, fishery and all that. But there's also like, you know, a part of him that understands literally what you just said, which is, you know, no matter how many years he spends on that ship, he's still going to be thinking about music, you know, mm-hmm. and it's going to be something that's always going to be a part of who he is. And I think that movie resonated with me so much because it it is sort of, I don't know. I think for a lot of creatives and artists out there, um, that's a decision and a path that, you know, most people have to go down and they have to decide whether or not, you know, it's something that they're going to continue to pursue or it's time to let the dream die. You know, it's kind of, yeah. Or just kind of change what change what the dream looks like, you know? Yeah. Because I, I think there's a lot of people who um, they, you know, I think you can just just like being in love, like think about it like being in a relationship or you're in love with someone like you spend, you know, five, six years and you're like, I'm in love with this person and I love them. But then something inside of you changes or something about you changes and you wake up one day and you're like, oh, do I like do I like have this same love? Like, or has my love changed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like that can happen with people with, you know, their, their passions in life. Like you can really love, you know, I could really love writing one day, but I could also wake up one day and be like, I don't think that this means the same thing to me anymore. But it's like at this point in my life, it means even more to me than it ever has, you know? And it's like, it's only grown. It's, it's not dissipated or, disappeared in any way you know so it's like you just I I can't ignore it kind of thing you know totally and I think an important thing too that a lot of people don't understand whenever they go into something like this is a lot of the heroes are the people that we look up to that kind of revolutionized whatever industry that you're going into it took them a really long time to get to that Mm -hmm. level you know it isn't something where people think you know, they're going to start making YouTube videos and in two years they're going to be some famous, you know, singer in the Billboard Top 100. Like, that's not a realistic way of approaching it, right? So it's like a lot of the people that we mentioned, it took them years to get to the point where they are, you know, and it took a lot of failure and a lot of like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure a lot of restless nights of like contemplating whether or not this is the path that they want to go down. But, you know, fortunate for us, they stuck through and made really cool stuff. So hoping you do the same, man. Like, yeah, (laughs) I hope so too. Um, I was going to say, I forgot to mention one other um, writer that I like, I cannot not say this person, Um, Mike White, who wrote, um, he wrote Natural Libre and School of Rock. Those movies blew my mind as a kid. Like, I could not 
believe how funny they were. And even still today, I mean, a lot of that has to do with Jack Black, but like I've read those scripts too. And it's like a lot of what he did in those movies, um, Jack Black was like, you know, his own kind of like hilarity and goofiness. But like those movies are such a, a great example of the the same thing I was talking about with Tina Fey, but it's just in a different way where it's like, there's like this intelligent man writing this like very silly movie yeah. and like 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 not nothing's ever made me laugh in the same way like natural libre does you know and it's like i don't think that i could ever um like if i could ever make a movie that made somebody laugh that much like i would just i've I'm, I'm never yeah. been happier it's like <laughs> thank you for tuning in as always, head to thedoublelifepod.com for more information. There we have uh, profiles, pictures, written, and artwork and different things from all of my guests. So tune in and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Adios.